Geno Smith is officially a $105 million man for the Seahawks. Find out all the details on his mega deal on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be rejoined here for Mock Draft Monday by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got some breaking news that we're going to be getting to here to open the show, but of course, some last-minute observations from the final day of testing at the Combine. We'll have some winners and losers in the running backs and offensive line groups and my latest mock draft drops post-Combine. And I'm going to allow Rob to put his draft evaluator cap on again and either compliment or skewer my selections today for Mock Draft Monday, a jam-packed episode coming your way. Now let's get to it. Now for your lead story here. On our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks, Geno Smith might not have written back when the NFL wrote him off, but the Seahawks, after a breakout season, are writing him a big check. A three-year, $105 million extension agreed upon by the player and the team this afternoon. Originally was reported by Jordan Schultz of the score, and Smith scores himself a big paycheck. And Obviously, Rob, we don't know a lot of the details at this point with this being breaking news. We know the contract amount. There has been a report that there's $52 million that could be paid out in the first calendar year of this new deal. But we don't know the cap heads. We don't know the guaranteed salary or any of those things. So the devil's in the details when it comes to trying to truly assess this contract extension. We don't have all that information in front of us. And yet at the same time, If it's going to have that much money up front, this seems like it could be a mutually beneficial deal for the player and the team that creates some flexibility for the franchise of the quarterback position. Yeah, I think that it does. And I think that it sounds like, and again, as you just said, Corbin, and we don't know the particulars of the deal, but it certainly looks at first glance like it is going to be a deal that is both team and player friendly. And I think that's just a a really nice job on, on both sides because let's face it, as we talked about, and as the NFL agreed, Geno Smith deserved this pay. Uh, you know, as the comeback player of the year, as the pro bowler that he is, uh, you know, he had an absolutely unbelievable season. At the same time, I think that the Seahawks showed that they were willing to reward him. And I think that it sends a message throughout the locker room, that throughout the rest of the uh, potential free agents out there, um, that, that this is that this is a franchise that will reward players that do really well. But at the same time, um, you know, you have to put in that work. And uh, again, to me, that that's what the I think that this deal provides the Seahawks an awful lot of flexibility. And I also think that it it, it gives the team um, the the leader that they need to compete immediately. And that, to me, is the biggest takeaway that I, I'm excited about here from a Seahawks perspective, is that this, to me, is a signal to your fans that the, the Seahawks – may still go for a quarterback. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment. They, that is a possibility at number five, number 20, wherever. This doesn't 
force the Seahawks to react one way or another, but it also puts them in position to perhaps take one of the defensive players that may still be on the board. Should there be that, 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 that just, you know, crazy rush of quarterbacks to start the draft. And again, I think that that really puts Seattle in a very advantageous position, especially as again, we're, we're, we're you're starting to see people get a little bit aggressive. The saints uh, signed Derek Carr, the big deal, all this talk about the Chicago bears trading down. It, it, it's quarter back season Corbin and Seattle just got the the Seattle just bagged one of the best talents in, in the you know available to them yeah and I think when you look at this from Geno Smith's perspective this is a player that hadn't even made 20 million dollars in his entire playing career and now he potentially could get as we just mentioned the reports are saying 52 million for the first calendar year. So more than double it, almost three times what he's made for his career salary. So of course, number seven is going to be jumping at that opportunity for generational wealth that he has earned with what he did last year for the Seahawks. And if he goes out and he earns all that money, I'm speculating that there's incentives that are involved with that. So if he continues to play like he did last year or takes another step forward and is even better in 2023, then obviously the Seahawks are going to be looking at the next two years in the deal and thinking we got ourselves a top five, top 10 quarterback on peanuts compared to some of the other elite quarterbacks in the league. And so it works out in that aspect. If Geno Smith does struggle this next year, If he regresses on the field, though, they're in a position where if it's front-loaded the way that it looks like it is, they might be able to have an easy out after the second season or even the first season if they want to. And that is why that pick number five still creates such intrigue, especially with the reports coming out today that the Seahawks had a great meeting with Florida's Anthony Richardson, and apparently he was really impressed with Pete Carroll, which a lot when they had Sauce Gardner wasn't, apparently. Uh, most prospects, when they visit with Pete Carroll, they have good meetings and they are excited to meet with him. But that really jumps out right now because with the way that that contract appears to be structured, if Geno Smith goes out and just has an average year and he doesn't quite play like he did last season or play for the money that they are set to pay him over those three years, drafting a quarterback right now early would allow them to develop and groom that player to be the successor down the line. And if Geno Smith ends up lighting it up, You can maybe do what the Packers did all those years under Brett Favre, like with Mark Brunel, for example. You can trade that player away and then get draft picks and then start to cycle over again. A lot of good franchises do that when they have quality quarterback plays. So as you mentioned, it truly creates a ton of flexibility at the most important position in professional sports. And it gives the Seahawks a lot of flexibility with that first draft pick, too, because if the guy they want at quarterback is there, You can pull the trigger or you can try to auction it off. John Schneider loves being an auctioneer. Or if a defensive player falls because all the quarterbacks get picked in the first four selections, then John Schneider is going to be laughing all the way to the bank on that. Hey, I got Will Anderson at pick number five, or I got Tyree Wilson at pick number five. Or if they still are in on Jalen Carter, you can get blue chip talents on defense there in part by selling a smoke screen that you're going to pick a quarterback or they could turn around and pick Anthony Richardson if he's still there. So the options seem to be endless and that's where you want to be if you are a general manager and you have a top five pick a lot of teams don't end up in that position no exactly but you know again i'm not there's not a lot of teams out there that that give a so-called journeyman quarterback uh, an opportunity to really compete for a starting job at this point in Geno Smith's career and for seattle to have given him that opportunity uh again is very rare 
for Geno Smith to, or any quarterback, any player at, at that point in their career to then take advantage of it the way that Geno Smith does. I mean, Corbin, if, Prior to the season, I, you know, you and I debated about who we thought might end up winning this job. And of course, I went with Drew Locke and you went with Geno Smith. And I, I, I mentioned it because I want to give you credit. But again, what I really want to give a lot of credit to is to the Seahawks and Geno Smith and all of the coaches. I mean, it was if this was a movie, people would walk out of it and say this was this is unbelievable. This could actually happen. What, what Geno Smith and the Seahawks pulled off here really was spectacular. It was the, the story of the NFL for for much of the season um it's just a kind of a heartwarming story so it's really cool to see again the the, the player the, the the team come together for a deal that does seem like it's mutually beneficial is fair um and at the same time puts Seattle I think in a position to compete for Super Bowls immediately now, you know all this talk about possibly going for a quarterback that, that's just kind of pushing off the Lombardi trophy ahead ahead and I think that what made the most sense from the get-go given Pete Carroll's age given just the, the length of the tenure of, of the head coach and the, the general manager in town. I mean, generally speaking, guys don't stay in town that long. This, this has been a long time that uh, the Seahawks have been led by these two men. I, I think that they, they have to win, frankly. Otherwise, they, it, it could be move on time. And so, again, to me, it, it made sense. And it's one that I think that uh, the Seahawks and Geno Smith are both going to love that they made this decision uh, three years down the road from now. Ultimately, they wouldn't have given this contract to Geno Smith if they did not believe that he was going to be able to replicate or even exceed the production that he had this past season in Shane Walters' offense with the weapons that they have around him. They wouldn't have had this contract put together, and they wouldn't have even given him the opportunity to sign the dotted line. And so I don't want anybody thinking that the Seahawks just made this deal thinking we're ready to move on to our next quarterback. But smart franchises, like John Schneider pointed out with the Packers all those years, that is a position where players don't grow on trees. If you can get an Anthony Richardson at number five, you have to strongly consider it and let him develop behind Geno Smith. Maybe he becomes your starter. Maybe he does. I know that's a very high pick to make that investment, but it's such a difficult position to find the right guy. And so, again, this just opens up a world of options for the Seahawks in free agency in the draft. The cap hit will be lower than it would have been with a franchise tag at $32.4 million. So, again, it just creates flexibility all throughout the organization. And that's what you want as a general manager, especially when you have a young team that just made the playoffs that looks to be ascending like the Seahawks are. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up our NFL Combine coverage, taking a look at the final day of testing running backs and offensive linemen, which players stood out and which players maybe didn't take full advantage of their opportunity in Indianapolis. We'll be diving into that here coming up next on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. We're now into March and I'm struggling a little bit right now with my goal to eat a little bit healthier. But thankfully, there's Built Bars, which are actually healthy and tasty. And it's helped me to an extent here three months into the new year. 100% real chocolate, amazing flavors, including churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built Bar does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while having amazing macros, such as 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around at home to have a box shipped to you. You can head over to Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today 
today and walk to the pharmacy section and get yourself a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs built bars. And if you're close to Sam's Club, you can run in and grab a 13-bar box with other hip flavors, including brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. You're listening to Mock Draft Monday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time checking out the Locked On Seahawks podcast or you're a diehard regular listener. Thank you to each and every one of you for your support. Let's wrap up our NFL Draft Combine coverage from Indianapolis. Another exciting week. And I'll tell you, Rob, being there in person again, I'm so glad it was still in Indianapolis, and I hope it stays there for the foreseeable future because they just do it right. Yesterday, running backs and offensive linemen participating in testing, and these are two groups, particularly the running back group, where there seems to be quite a bit of depth heading into this draft class. So let's start with the running back position, Rob. Who's the first player that jumped out to you? from yesterday's testing or maybe just the combine in general as a big winner? Uh, you know, as far as the running backs, I mean, I, I, I just have to start off with B. John Robinson. I mean, I think first is how you start off the conversation. I mean, he, all this expectation of uh, that was kind of on his shoulders. I actually thought that he was going to run slower than he did. I thought that he had a spectacular workout. But you know, everybody, of course, knows about players like that. To me, it was the, the Tulsa running back who I did not know much about. But I just once I saw I liked his frame um, and I liked the speed. I liked the quickness that he uh demonstrated so to me uh you know generic um generic prince from tulsa was a back that just i mean those of you who are watching on youtube can uh can see the the graphic here is the uh, the tulsa back on the right and you can just see his upper body um to me he is the kind of frame that um that i think that fits in with what the seahawks potentially would be lacking you know what you have in camp walker the third but you may you may want to have a a bigger back I, I thought that he showed some explosiveness um the other two backs that are on the screen if you're watching here are two backs in Evan Hall and Chase Brown, of course, that uh, you know you and I have talked a little bit about in the past, Corbin, of course, as Big Ten aficionados, as, as you and I both like to, at least in my case, claim I am. Um, I, I'm very familiar with those and, and frankly had Chase Brown as one of the top 10 backs in the entire NFL draft. I was not at all surprised by what he and his brother, twin brother, Sidney Brown, the safety for Illinois, were able to do. They're really talented players. And again, I think these are a couple of backs here that make some sense for the Seahawks just because we know that's going to be a position of concern for them. And again, this 2023 draft class is loaded at running back. And I look at Chase Brown because he he doesn't necessarily fit the typical body type the Seahawks look for at running back, low 200s. But this guy runs like he's 215 pounds, and he's a phenomenal athlete, ran a 4.43, had a 40-inch vertical that led running backs. This guy can fly all over the field. Oh, by the way, he had 1,600 rushing yards last year. So it's not like this is a guy that's just an athletic freak. He is an extremely productive running back that can catch the football. He's improving in pass protection. Travis Homer is a free agent, and this kid actually has a very similar build, but to me is a much better between the tackles runner, and he's got the track background to really hit home runs. And so this kid would be a really fun change of pace guy to put with Ken Walker, the third that could maybe be that third down running back. And then Evan Hall from Northwestern, you want to talk about a thumper. 
That is Evan Hall. And I think going into this process, unlike Chase Brown, a lot of people were expecting with his track background that this is going to be a guy that was going to run super fast. Evan Hall, I think a lot of people were expecting, and maybe in the high four fives or four six, he ran a four four seven at the combine and also showed off great quickness with a six point nine second three cone drill, thirty five inch vertical, a thirty seven inch vertical actually. So Evan Hall showing, hey, I'm a pretty athletic guy. There's a reason I had five hundred rushing yards and over five hundred receiving yards, and one of only three backs in the country that did that last year. So. I've been team Evan Hall really since the beginning of last football season. Every time I've watched him play, I love the way the guy runs. And if Seattle wants to get that hammer that really complements Ken Walker the third, Evan Hall can also catch the football really well, as I just mentioned, and has the potential to be a really solid pass protector with more refinement. That might be your third down back that's more of a physical brand type in the backfield. No, I, I agree with you. A, a big fan of what Hull can uh, can provide. I was surprised by just how much juice he he proved to have uh, during the testing um, over the weekend. Um, and, and so I, I think a very impressive workout from him. Um, as you mentioned with, with Hull and being just kind of, um, you know, a physical uh, a physical back. He's a finisher. To me, that's exactly what Brown was as well. I, I thought that his tape just showed so many different times where – you know, Illinois needed uh, somebody to make a big play, and he consistently made it. He was the reason, or at least one of the big reasons, why uh, Illinois gave Michigan a scare. Um, you know, is it, because of, of the the touchdown that he that he created. I mean, he just there were so many times where he looked bottled up and was able to create the big play at big moments. And I think that's something that the Seahawks have always kind of prioritized, at least during this Schneider P. Carroll era, is those playmakers, those guys who do step up their level of play at the biggest moments. That's why. I, you know, I hate to go back to this conversation just for a moment, but, um, uh, you know, at the quarterback you know position, I haven't had a chance to kind of, you know, kind of give you my thought, thoughts on this. But uh, I really think that the, the demonstration that Anthony Richardson showed is going to create a lot of buzz in, in that Seahawk room. And, and so I, I'm just eager to be talking about that conversation as well. But we'll, that, we'll save that one for another day. Yeah, there's so much quarterback discussion that we're going to be having over the next month. There's going to be plenty of time to talk about Anthony Richardson and his fin Seattle. But I love that you mentioned the big time clutch plays in a big conference because we know, generally speaking, that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have preferred exactly. power five conference players. Well, Evan Hull, as well as Chase Brown. Those two guys have been running against stout Big Ten defenses, the black and blue Big Ten, and particularly for Chase Brown racking up 1,600 yards in that conference, running well against defenses like Michigan and Ohio State during his career. And Holtz had some really good games against those teams too, but he's been a much more under-the-radar prospect. And so really a coming-out party for him after he was, in my opinion, the best player, at least best skill player in the Senior Bowl, ripping off a bunch of big runs in that All-Star Showcase show. We got a chance to see what these Big Ten backs can do athletically, and they both were dynamic in Indianapolis. Now, let's get to the guys that make it. Those guys even have room to run the football, and that's the offensive linemen. And you mentioned Bajan Robinson obviously being a big name going into this. Cody Mock is a player that was starting to get a lot of buzz already in the Senior Bowl. There may be potentially some first-round buzz there because he can play pretty much every position in the offensive line. I could talk about the testing. He put up really good short shuttle and three cone drill times, decent 40 yard dash. I don't put too much stock into that necessarily, but he had a good 10 yard split time. But this feels like this was a combine where if we're talking some of the bigger name players that are going to fit the Seahawks, 
uh, a certain guy that has been snapping to C.J. Stroud might make a lot of sense that had a pretty good combine. Yeah, Whipler from Ohio State. We, we've talked so much about, uh, you know, some of the other centers in this class, you know, John Michael Schmitz, of course, from, from Minnesota. Uh, you know, I, I've talked a bit about Joe Tipman from Wisconsin, Steve Avila, who has that center and guard versatility from TCU. They, they seem to get a lot of buzz. Um, you know, Forsyth from Oregon is another one. Whipler has not gotten quite as much uh, you know, attention. And I, I think that he demonstrated that he should um, at the combine. We, we saw you mentioned lateral quickness. That is something that's important. I think if the you know, in, in interior offensive lineman, while you know the 40-yard dash may may seem a little silly, those 10-yard splits are important. They're, they're showing your burst, of course. And then the, the, the change of direction drills, the, the three-cone, the short shuttle. I, I want to see big guys who can move. And, and so I, I thought that Whipler really did a nice job there. Because you mentioned C.J. Stroud. He is such a, a talented quarterback that uh, I, I think it makes it a little bit easier on his offensive linemen to block. So I, I wanted to see the way that Ohio State's offensive linemen would perform. And Whipler was among them who, who performed very, very well. And on one hand, you expect that. I mean, these are oftentimes four or five-star recruits at Ohio State. But at the same time, you, you still want to see it. And I thought that uh, Whipler was one of those who, who really jumped out. But to me, it's besides the, the five-star kind of guys going, to, you know, for for programs like Ohio State. To me, it was what, what the Eastern, uh, the Eastern Michigan uh, offensive lineman, uh, City Sow, I believe is is his name. If you look at him on the right, if again, if you're watching on YouTube, and thank you as always to YouTube followers and everybody's listening. But City Sow was a guy who really impressed me. And talk about the you know guys who are built the right way. We had that conversation a moment ago at the running back position, but. Sal is, uh, you know, he's a big, broad-shouldered guy, really thick core, um, and, but also it just I was very impressed by the quickness and just the body control that, that he demonstrated. Um, you know, he's a Canadian-born player, and I'm going to be paying attention to those players anyways, but I thought that he showed – uh, a, a great deal of, uh, again, body control, uh, quickness, explosiveness, um, and enough that NFL teams are going to be really interested in him as well. He's a player that I honestly had not heard of going into this process. I had not even seen Eastern Michigan play, and I'm not going to lie. I watched a couple games this morning because I was curious, and it took me a long time to find somebody that could get me some game film for Eastern Michigan. So uh, I, uh, thanks, uh, thank you to those people that were able to get me hooked up. But uh, this guy plays with a little bit of nastiness, and he's 323 pounds. So it colored me intrigued, especially when I saw him run a 5-0-7-40. He was near the top in the 10-yard split, which to me is much more important when we're talking about offensive linemen. And he also scored in the upper half in the agility testing drills the three cone and the short shuttle. So he showed the lateral quickness. He showed some of the speed and explosiveness. And then, like I said, 323 pounds, this guy's a big dude. And he looks like he's got some enforcer in him while still being athletic. So that might be a guy on day three now that is on the radar for teams that might not have been going into this process. As far as another player that maybe was off the charts a little bit, he is playing from a power five school, but let's give some credit to John Gaines, who, is a more typical zone blocking build guard. He's 303 pounds. So he's not near as big as City Sal or some of the other guards that we saw on display in Indianapolis. But this is another guy that was really impressive. A 7.31 second three cone. That's like Kobe Bryant speed from last year at Cincinnati. I don't know if that's good for him or that's good for the lineman, but 
He was top three in both vertical and broad jump. He was top five in the 40-yard dash and the 10-yard split. And he had a 4-4-5 short shuttle. So his three-cone and his short shuttle, those were times that you typically see from like pass rushers and stuff. And we saw it from a guard. And you know Seattle wants athleticism at that position, especially with them leaning more towards zone-blocking schemes. This is a player that has some good film. There's also been some inconsistency with his size, but he's certainly a player that brings the athletic tools that the Seahawks are looking for. And so he was another guard that really jumped out to me from Sunday's workouts that might be a day three candidate for the Seahawks to consider to supplement the guard positions either left or on the right side. Coming up next, I've been waiting for this here all day because, Rob, it's something we do every single year. I dish out one of my latest mock drafts right after the combine wraps up because we get a lot more information watching these guys work out, interviewing them, hearing what teams are saying about certain players behind the scenes. And so it gives you a little different perspective. And I mentioned that to you and you're like, so does that mean I get to carve your draft apart? Well, yes, it absolutely does. In fact, I think this is a very fitting mock draft that I revealed today because it fits with what we were discussing in the first quarter. Geno Smith now has a contract. When I wrote it up this morning, he did not have a contract. But I don't think that this mock draft necessarily now can be thrown out into the garbage either because I still think quarterback could be a position that the Seahawks consider at number five. And that's what I did in this mock draft with C.J. Stroud. We mentioned his center, Dylan Whipler, snapping to him. But C.J. Stroud, in this case, getting that QB that has just diced up Big Ten defenses the last two years. We saw what he did to Georgia in the college football playoff. Extremely accurate. You see a lot of the same things that you typically see with Geno Smith on film in the Seahawks offense last year. He's that style of a quarterback that has the athleticism, if he wants to use it, to be able to move around and be a dual threat. But Really, the emphasis for me in this mock, Rob, was athleticism. Getting Nolan Smith at pick 24 after trading down with the Vikings to recoup a later pick in the third round. Getting another great athlete for a defensive tackle. Keanu Benton tested really well in Indianapolis. Deion Henley in round three, Washington State linebacker, former receiver. So he's obviously off the charts athleticism-wise. And then getting some bigger guys that – still move pretty well in the interior offensive line in Osiris Torrance and Steve Avila. I know a player that you have been really excited about in this draft process. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, frankly, the Seahawks may want to take a a screenshot uh, of what you just showed there, Corbin. I think that it would be a terrific draft class uh, for the Seahawks, even as you mentioned, if Seattle were to to go with the quarterback, you know, at number five overall, that would surprise a lot of people given that they made made the deal for for Geno Smith. But C.J. Stroud, I think, is just that damn good that if he were available to you, then you have to take a quarterback like that. I don't know that he's ultimately going to be available. I think that there's going to be a lot of, of, of uh, interesting quarterbacks that are going to push one of these defensive players down. But I think that if, again, one of these quarterbacks is available, and I personally think that Seattle would strongly consider any of those top four quarterbacks. I think that the talent is that good. The fit is that clean. That I think that they will consider all of these quarterbacks. I don't think this is just some storyline that they're creating to try and create some, you know, some some trade or draft or you know trade buzz. Um, I, I think again that these are legitimately talented quarterbacks. The contract that you just gave Geno Smith to me just strengthens 
this argument for that you can still take a quarterback rather than throwing it out the window, as some people would suggest. Um, and, and again, I think that you look at the types of players, the the positions, the the, the size, the physicality, the the level of competition, um, you know, and uh, and, and kind of a, a track record of success at the, the highest level. Um, you know, I think that that's something that, that the Seattle has kind of shown that they've been they've focused on in the past. And that's why I think of your mock draft. And I think there could be some hits there, um, you know. But again, it, it all is obviously is going to come down to what Seattle does at number five overall. And, 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 you know, if they don't go for a quarterback, then we're talking about one of those elite defensive linemen. And w- w- that wouldn't necessarily impact the rest of the players that you just – posted on there um I'll, I'll talk specifically about like say for example keanu benton to me if, if seattle was obviously going to take with a defensive lineman at number five overall then you're, you're you might potentially be taking somebody else at, at 20 or benton in, in top of the second round I, I love the selection of nolan smith i mean his speed that he demonstrated is just unbelievable uh, you know, nobody has ever uh, been faster. I think that they, I think that they mentioned is that the, the 240 pounds, uh, no one ever had a, a faster 40 yard dash or something. It was it's some kind of just unbelievable statistic for a defensive edge rusher. Um, but while he doesn't have the production on tape, Corbin, there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to criticize this selection. I, again, I don't know that he's necessarily would be available to Seattle at this point, because I think that this is a, a absolute superstar at the NFL level that would fit in with beautifully with what Seattle is looking to do. I think that he'd be a candidate even in a slight trade down from number five overall. It, you, you trade with Carolina Panthers, for example, the number nine, uh, you know, which I think would be a, a, a possibility in this scenario that you're, you're showing here with taking CJ Stroud at number five, Carolina trades up to number to five. Um, you get those, ne- maybe those extra first round picks for next year or whatever the case might be. But Again, I think that Nolan Smith, uh, Lucas Van Ness from Iowa is another one. I think it makes a lot of sense. Looking at your the, the team that you've created, though, again, if you make that decision at number five to go with the quarterback, I think that you really complement the rest of Seattle's needs throughout the throughout that draft. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This one was one with I used the Draft Network mock simulator and in our beta testing, and I, it was a little different order for players and stuff, so it unfolded differently than some of the other simulators that I've used, but. The way that this fell, I actually could see happening. Even though I think C.J. Stroud most likely is going to be picked in the first three picks, the way that it unfolded, the Indianapolis Colts moved up to pick one and took Anthony Richardson first overall. And I don't think that that is far-fetched right now with the buzz that is revolving around that incredibly athletic young man. And then Bryce Young going to the Texans, number two. And then the Cardinals stayed put at number three. And they picked Will Anderson. And then at four, the Chicago Bears are back on the clock and they took Jalen Carter at that position. So at that point, C.J. Stroud was still on the board and those top two defenders, they were gone. Tyree Wilson was still available. But I think in this case, John Schneider would be really hard pressed not to take C.J. Stroud. And then you can see the rest of the way that this draft board unfolded. You can see some of the depth at some of these positions, including along the offensive line. I think they can get some quality guard or center prospects on day two where there's a handful of them that would make some sense. And with as much capital as they have, it certainly creates the opportunity for you to get some of those players. And there's a lot of uber athletic edge rushers, which is why somebody like Nolan Smith might be there around 20 to 24 range. And he might not be after what he did at the combine. Now looking at my day three selections, you're going to be really excited about this because 
maybe give you a little bit of a chance to reflect on some of the better performers from the combine this week at other position groups, but some guys that also had some senior bowl backgrounds as well. So looking at my picks, I did not have a fourth rounder because I included the fourth round pick in the trade, moving down from 20 to 24. That added an extra third round and extra fifth round pick. So I gave up a first and a fourth to make that happen. But we talked about some of the running backs earlier. I'll give you another one that I really love that had some quality testing numbers in Indy. Tajay Spears from Tulane watched the tape against USC in the Cotton Bowl. And what he did, he twisted up defenders into pretzels and then exploded for big games. Had a monster game in that upset win over the Trojans. And then in the same round, get Riley Moss from Iowa. Rob, you know my love affair with Iowa players. I feel like you could pick Iowa and Kansas State players exclusively in this draft, and you'd have a top-five draft. I love the prospects that both the schools have. Riley Moss is kind of an under-the-radar player with great ball skills that tested a little better than I thought he was going to. And then we're talking about a guy that tested. Zach Kuntz from Old Dominion, a six foot eight tight end, former Penn State recruit couldn't get on the field at Penn State had some pretty good numbers two years ago at Old Dominion and his numbers were off the charts he might be a Colby Parkinson light that you can try to have the same development trajectory try to make him into a more all-around tight end and then Bryce Ford Wheaton in round six six foot four with four three speed didn't have great numbers at West Virginia but you know John Schneider is always looking for those dynamic athletes with great size at the skill positions, and Tyreek Jones in round seven, a solid fit in safety depth in terms of a guy that you can maybe develop early on that might be able to see the field in a couple seasons, has played some special teams as well. That's good value at pick 238, at least in my opinion. No, I, I do. Again, I, I agree with you. that There's a lot of picks on uh, on day three here that you make. I think would make a, a lot of sense. Um, when it comes to Ty J. Spears, I mean, just the the explosiveness. He's kind of a slasher. You, you mentioned the, 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 the incredible performance that he had in the bowl game against USC where, you know, Tulane beat USC. I mean, that, that was a shocker and, and Spears was a huge part of that, but he wasn't, it wasn't like he was a, like a, a one game, um, you know, show. I mean, he was a dominant player this entire season. I mean, I, I did not include him in my top 10 running backs for Fox, but he was like number 11, literally he and Hall were 11 and 12 right there. And so there is not at all surprising to me that these are backs that we're talking about that we fits for the Seahawks and, and, and backs who excelled uh, in, in the combine setting. So I, to me, he makes a lot of sense for all the reasons that we've been talking about how Seattle might need a running back. I think his style fits in with Seattle. He's not a punisher, but he is again a slasher. He's good. He um, he's a guy that can make some big plays for you. Really compliment what you have with Ken Walker third. Riley Moss is just a good football player. Agree with you. Um, he's got good ball skills. He, he's good in run support. Um, you know he is um, he's a player that if he was available at that spot in the draft, I think the Seattle would be very interested in him. Doesn't check all the boxes that they focused on. Be, you know, and before in terms of the, the length, in terms of some of the shuttle times and things like that, but just a good player um, that, again, I think his positional versatility would, would appeal to them. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of cut to the chase. One of the guys I'm most excited about is the Ford Wheaton, the receiver from West Virginia. You know, everybody's buzzing about him now because he was unbelievable at the combine. But I, I go back to one of the very first – games I watched this year in college football court was the backyard brawl, West Virginia and Pitt. Um, you know, it's a rivalry game. It's it was good stuff early in the season, super competitive football game. Um, and uh, you know, 
Ford Wheaton was, was unbelievable in the game. I mean, he made some catches that were just so clutch, um, showing such great body control, extension, just plucking the football. I mean, you want to talk you, – you mentioned the – the game that the Ty J Spears had against USC. Look at the game that Ford Wheaton has uh, against Pitt, and that's a darn good defense um, w- with a bunch of NFL prospects all over it. To me, that's a you know the type of guy that I think fits in so beautifully what Seattle has done in the past. That's why again I really like your mock draft here. He, he screams like a Kobe Parkinson, like a Derek Young. Uh, just screw it. Let's, let's roll the dice. It's the fifth, sixth round. Let's gamble on an athlete. Coots be another one. Um, the, you know, the tight end, I mean, he is not a, uh, he, he is about as raw as it gets, uh, Coons, the, the old dominion tight end, as you mentioned, came from Penn state, um, highly recruited guy because he's a phenomenal athlete. Everybody knew that he was going to jump out of the gym and run well and all that kind of stuff. He just, you know, <laughs> the, the young man wouldn't, couldn't find a football at a sporting goods store at this point. I mean, he, he needs to, to, you know, get on the football field and learn. And I think the Seahawks are as good at anybody as, as coaching guys up and gambling on athletes. But again, there's a reason why he is, uh, he, why he would be on the board at this point in, in the draft. Yeah. And I, that would probably be the one pick if I could look back in hindsight, then maybe I would look at it as a little bit of a reach, but at the same time, the Seahawks have a very good tight end room. You've got a number of veterans in there. If there is a group where a player like this that has all of those physical tools could put it all together and then become a really solid NFL tight end, Seattle's the place to go. I mean, remember, Colby Parkinson was like a stick figure when they drafted him at Stanford, and now he's 270 pounds and he can run block. And so could they do something similar with a guy like this that has all of those natural gifts? I wouldn't put it past him, and he doesn't have to play right away with the three tight ends that they have there. You could maybe stash him on the practice squad for a year and let him develop, and then he could be part of your plans in 2024 and beyond. Get him stronger, develop those football traits. So those are guys you look for in those late rounds because Definitely. you can't teach a six foot eight, 255-pound guy to run a 4.5. Like You can't teach those traits. Yep. You develop a guy like that or you try to, and if it doesn't work out, hey, it was a fifth round or it was a sixth round pick. Same with Bryce Ford Wheaton. We can bring him in the sixth round with the size and the athleticism that he has, and we can develop him. That guy could end up being a really dynamic number three. Could you imagine having to cover a six-four guy that runs a four-three-five like that across from DK Metcalf with Tyler Lockett in the slot? Uh, you know, it would be a nightmare for coordinators if you can develop him. He's obviously raw in a lot of ways and did put up a lot of numbers at West Virginia. That's why he's probably available at that point on day three. But uh, it would be a draft class. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. I'd be very excited about it. The Seahawks could get their hands on these players. And and I feel like the draft network one is pretty accurate in terms of where guys are going to fall. There's going to be some big discrepancies. There are every year. We don't truly know where guys are going to fall. But uh, it certainly was a group that I felt like checked off all the boxes. And it was further intriguing because of the quarterback pick, obviously, at pick number five. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms and streaming video form five days a week. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, I mentioned we might not cover the combine anymore, but we may look one more time at a few of the big winners, big picture-wise. And it's Transaction Tuesday. We'll be looking at some former Seahawks that – appear to be set to hit the market which one would be the best to bring back to seattle for a second stint we're going to let the fans weigh in and we'll share our thoughts as well we hope you'll be listening in thanks for joining us here on our mock draft monday go hawks